0: Hey, it's Jeff here. After working as an automotive tech for almost 25 years, I can honestly say that finding employment with the right shop has been the difference maker between loving what I do every day or hating my career choice. Let me tell you, I've been there. But I've also had jobs where work didn't really feel like work. I love the challenge of fixing cars. So loving what I do, that's the easy part. Finding a good place to do it in, now that's been the struggle. And that's where my friends at Promotive knock it out of the park. They're a recruitment company specializing in jobs for our automotive industry. A techs, B techs, master techs, service advisors, managers, you name it. They are constantly looking for applicants in automotive to link them with available job postings at only the best vested shops around the country. Promotive has a team of professional recruiters that can help you with your resume, prep you for the interview process, and negotiate the best pay and benefits package for you. And best of all, it's free to anyone looking to gain employment. Check them out at GoPromotive.com slash Jeff. GoPromotive.com slash Jeff. Just think, you could be just five minutes away from finding your dream job.
1: Three months ago, I left a 27-year career as a professional automotive mechanic. I have zero regrets. Dealership owners and service managers seem to be incapable of understanding that professional techs are sick and tired of being taken for granted and treated like we're expendable and disposable assets. The tables are turning. Professional techs have been leaving the trade in record numbers. As we leave, we're told they have drawers full of resumes and techs pounding on the door trying to get in. It's somewhat gratifying to watch their help-wanted ads renewed week after week and month after month were expendable and easily replaced, remember. They resort to bribing the techs they have left into recruiting for them. Wouldn't it be easier and likely cheaper to just treat the tax appropriately in the first
0: place? Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to another exciting thought-provoking episode of the Jaded Mechanic Podcast. My name's Jeff and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than 20 years of skin knuckles and tool debt I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. Support yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer and get ready for some great conversation.
1: Three months ago, I left a 27-year career as a professional automotive mechanic. I have zero regrets. Dealership owners and service managers seem to be incapable of understanding that professional techs are sick and tired of being taken for granted and treated like we're expendable and disposable assets. The tables are turning. Professional techs have been leaving the trade in record numbers. As we leave, we're told they have drawers full of resumes and techs pounding on the door trying to get in. It's somewhat gratifying to watch their help-wanted ads renewed week after week and month after month were expendable and easily replaced, remember? When job postings don't work, billboards don't work, word of mouth doesn't work, they resort to bribing the techs they have left into recruiting for them. This isn't a signing bonus for a new employee. This is a monetary reward for existing employees talking their friends and peers into working with them. Wouldn't it be easier and likely cheaper to just treat the techs appropriately in the first place? It's not the young techs leaving, not the oil changers or the apprentices. It's the seasoned techs leaving, the shop foreman, the individuals that know their value. They've simply had enough of the disrespect. We're walking out with more than our heads held high. We're walking out with decades of experience, decades of training, and hundreds of thousands of dollars in special tools and equipment. These are our assets. Assets that the dealerships take for granted and treat as their own. The industry has to change. Owners and managers have known about it for years and have done nothing about it. I'm not saying there aren't good techs left, But I'm sure as hell saying that those that are left need to capitalize on the fact that they are an irreplaceable asset and start demanding what they're worth.
0: Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another thought-provoking, excellent episode of the Jada Mechanic podcast. What you just listened to was a very good friend of mine, Dan Litchardson's. Dan put that post up a little over three years ago in a Facebook group. Uh, it got shared and it got some major traction. At the time I had met Dan. I didn't know Dan's story. Dan turned out that Dan lives in my little corner of the world, Kingston, Ontario. And, uh, but that post that Dan put up resonated with so many people. It kind of put me on this way in an indirect way of realizing the kind of skill set and quality of tech that's leaving this industry. So tonight, we're going to talk to Dan. We're going to get to know Dan. We're going to hear what Dan has done since Dan put that post up and where Dan's gone. And I can tell you I know Dan well. He is a phenomenal technician. He has a ton of experience. He is a salt-of-the-earth kind of gentleman. He's everything that a shop owner would want. And yet he washed his hands of it all and walked away from it. And he's going to tell you his story tonight. And I think you're all going to really, really take something away from his story. It's going to rub some people the wrong way, but I want people to just hear Dan's story and think about what Dan did. And realize that, you know, when you have the skills that Dan has, you can go anywhere you want to go. So, without further ado, how's Dan tonight?
1: I'm pretty good, thanks.
0: Good, man. Good. So, Dan, tell us, after that long-winded intro, (laughs) are you still a tech, Dan?
1: I carry the license. Uh, I keep it renewed. I keep it current, just in case. Uh But I am no longer a practicing automotive tech. Right. Right. Uh, and I don't think it'll ever leave me completely, but, uh, yeah, but no, I, I don't do it for a living.
0: Yeah. So everybody, Dan, you left the industry and you went to work at a factory, but not just yes. any factory, right? You're working at the local Goodyear tire factory in Napanee, Ontario, Canada, which is about, what do we say, Dan? 45 minutes from where, where we are right now?
1: It was a it was a twenty five minute drive for me, yeah. so it, it's really not that far. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've since moved just outside of Kingston, but mm-hmm. now I'm only it's, it's a twenty minute drive.
0: Yeah, and it's, you've been uh, out, you've been at the plant how long now? Oof,
1: July twenty nineteen, so just about four years.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, you know, a few months of that was COVID. We were shut down, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. And uh, six months of that was in a was in a classroom, but um, yeah, I've been I've been a practicing uh, I guess you'd call it industrial mechanic now f- for about three years. Yeah, and, uh, and let me tell you, I feel like a first or second year apprentice again
0: because <laughs> <laughs> they went through quite a blitz around here, didn't they? In terms of trying to, could we say, Dan, that they were actively trying to recruit what we would call up here a licensed tech, licensed automotive technicians.
1: Yeah, absolutely. To, to, absolutely. To work
0: in the plant. Cause I know, like, I saw the ad when I was off on COVID for almost a year when I was laid off. I went through the process, did the interviews, went, did the testing, you know, ended up my personality would have, as the experts say, would have clashed. Hard to believe, right? But uh, you work with a lot in your in your in your day to day. You work with a lot of really skilled, what we call up here, licensed class A, some master level at the dealer level, right? The OE level. Yep. Technicians that have left the industry to go work at essentially a factory fixing machinery that builds Goodyear tires. Mm -hmm. So, what's that like with the, with the, like, I don't think you had any kind of difficulties transitioning at all, right? Yes and no. Uh
1: mm-hmm. I I I have, have had some issues getting my wrapping my head around AC electrical. Yeah. Why the hell is there a third wire? You know, I, I just <laughs> I uh I, I couldn't I couldn't I just couldn't wrap my head around it. That was that was the biggest thing. And and the other thing was just realizing that uh everything in there can kill you.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But other than that, for the most part, it's nuts and bolts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You said, most part. you said last night you carry most of your tools that you need, like pretty much oh, in yeah. your pockets, you know? Yeah.
1: I, uh, <clears throat> I wear coveralls and some guys wear, uh, wear, you know, just pants and shirts and uniforms and carry a little tool pouch. But, uh, 90% of what we do, we do with, uh, a set of metric and standard Allen keys, a small pair of channel locks, an adjustable wrench, and, mm-hmm. uh, some duck bill pliers. It's, uh, yeah. it's, you know and it is what, and that's just my end of the plant. There's there's three areas of the plant, so I, right. I deal with a lot of steam and and, uh, and uh, hydraulics. But uh, that's I mean, 90% of what I do that I'm comfortable with that. And then, of course, I've got a big toolbox that we roll around, and right, and it's, it's nothing yeah. like the box that I have in my home garage now. It's not, yeah. you know, my big snap on Epic, but
0: yeah. occasionally, you'll I'll grab tell you, one. I never
1: used an adjustable wrench when I was wrenching on cars. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'd be lying if I said I never did. I've used them all the time. <laughs> they make a great hammer. <laughs> once in a while you once in a while you'll grab a, a voltmeter, right? And once in a while you might some of oh, the yeah. guys in there yeah. do a bit of welding and stuff. But I mean, like it's it's night and day difference, right? Yeah. So now yeah. tell us, give us your backstory because it's fascinating. So so I started
1: in the trade in the um, early nineties. I, uh, I did a year at university and, and quite quickly realized that it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, I ended up taking a summer job at a speed shop in Nepean, Ontario. And, uh, I think I was, yeah, I was driving a 63 galaxy at the time. This is, this was 91 or 92. Yep. And, uh, And, uh, yeah, I, I I got the job pumping gas at this, uh, little gas station and speed shop. And, you know, one thing led to another and they got really busy and, and, uh, asked if I knew my way around a toolbox and a way around a car. And I said, well, I guess I've been kind of car crazy since I was a little kid. Yeah. And, uh, they said, you know, who did all the work on your galaxy? Well, I did. Mm -hmm. Well, well, you know, come give us a hand in the shop. And that turned into an apprenticeship and, uh, I had a great time doing it. You know, my. Cut my teeth working on tri power. uh I yeah. guess what was it? It would have been a. It would have been a ca- fifty nine Cadillac. The first. The first job I ever did was was rebuild three two barrel carbs on a on a fifty nine Cadillac.
0: With a tri power. That's so yep. cool. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then of course went through the the height of the uh, the five liter Mustang craze yeah. and uh and yeah.
0: uh I remember I that. Been a,
1: I've always been a bow tie guy, but. But I really like those uh, those Fox platform cars. So I was always Still have a, a soft spot for them.
0: I was always a bow tie guy too until I got around the Mopar stuff, and then I don't know if it was just repeated blows to the head or whatever, or s- sniffing too much gasoline. But I mean, it, it was I, I just something about those. The fact yeah, that they were ugly. I, I can see
1: the attraction because uh, I mean I've got a bit of a soft spot for them, and and uh, I mean I've been without a, a project car for for a decade. Yeah. For many reasons uh, and you know we can get that later on just the the whole trade killed it for me. It was it was a hobby and a passion and turned into a career and and the career killed the hobby and passion.
0: Yeah. But I recently you, bought
1: another uh, I bought another project car and and you know I'm starting to get some of that passion back and
0: I was going to ask that's not is that a Mercury Zephyr or is it a an it, It's
1: actually a uh, it's a 78 Fairmont Futura.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. And uh, I bought it from a guy who could be me in a parallel universe you mm-hmm. know he's uh he's the same kind of guy that i am and he loves cars and he's got multiple cars and it just uh it it worked out and i gained a friend by buying that car so i'm right. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it that's the best. it's not going to stay ford powered you know it's a, it's of course gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna piss everyone off and shove an ls into it well that's
0: you. how you fix everything right that's really oh yeah you it, but <laughs> i'm I'd... gonna
1: make it fast cheap and reliable that's right
0: <laughs> i love that it just cr- it just cranks up the, the the blue oval faithful when they you know lift the hood and you've got an ls in it and like our yeah. guest on tuesday that episode dropped young colin you want to see head roll he's got a porsche with an ls swapped in it so awesome. i mean yeah but i mean let's let's be real that's an upgrade on a porsche i don't care what anybody oh, says yeah, in reliability like it you know so if- anyway
1: but before we get too far off track, I uh, I started my my uh, venture into the trade at a speed shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a couple of years there, and the market dropped out, and we hit a massive recession. And uh, I ended up leaving Ottawa area and heading back to Kingston. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was a struggle to find some work. And I ended up uh, working for free for a, a speed shop here in town. I just wanted the hours towards my apprenticeship. Yeah, and uh, that turned into um, not really a job, but I would I would hang out and help out, and got to meet some people in the industry, and uh, and then I got to meet a bunch of the um, independent um, owner operators, small shops, mm-hmm. and then I quickly decided that I wanted to spend my apprenticeship not in one spot, but move around from independent garage to independent garage and learn as much as I can about every brand that I could right and uh gain as many skills as i could and uh, and i did that it wasn't until i was just about done my apprenticeship which actually stretched into 5 years for me because of the recession in the industry yeah, yeah. but uh it wasn't until i was done my apprenticeship that i ended up into into shifting into dealership life mm mm-hmm. And, uh, that was, that was, you know, when I got married and, and, and started to build a family, it was, uh, it was, I needed the, uh, I needed the security and the benefits. Yeah. What I didn't count on was flat rate, but, uh, (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I did okay. I did Mm -hmm. okay. And then I just went, I went from dealership to, uh, to dealership, got pretty close to master level in Chrysler. Did a bunch of stuff with Ford, late '90s for Ford, and it wasn't wasn't very good stuff. And I I, didn't, no. I hated working on it. I, you ever get you ever get that feeling where your your fingers just want to you know they don't want to touch the wiring? It was the way yeah. the connectors felt I mean, in your hands. You yeah, know, we weren't wearing gloves back then. just I couldn't stand working on Fords. Yeah. No, I own one anyway. Yeah, I went from dealership to dealership, and um, I got a little bit jaded, uh, as many of us do at, uh, mm-hmm. at the Chrysler dealership. And I think it's the same one that you work for.
0: Oh, that was a, yeah, <clears throat> that was, that place was a cesspool. We've talked about it and we won't talk about it here. Cause it's just going to, you know, I'll probably, if I talk about it long enough, I'll call out the person that I feel is the most responsible at the time <laughs> for why everything went bad. Right. old McDonald, yeah. and, um, <laughs> it, <laughs> You know, it, um, it just was, yeah. I mean, that was the dealership that, that promised me the world, right. That, that got me to come leave Ottawa and come back to Kingston where, you know, I'd grown up here too. Right. And that had been, I'd left a really good, really good lucrative dealership job to be closer to my family. And that dealer promised me a lot. And of course, like a lot of dealers, a lot of shops, a lot of dealers, uh, they didn't promise you walk in and you know, I didn't walk in with any kind of attitude. I walked in with confidence. I knew what I could do. They, that's why they had several times tried to recruit me. And that's why they finally got me. They needed a guy that could do building, electrical. And hey, you know, well, when I got there and their established guy, his hours took a hit. Um, all of a sudden they pulled the rug out from underneath me and just took, a, you know, the labor ops away from me. Not because, yeah. and, and this is the thing, you people are going to go, oh, you must have had too many comebacks. I had zero zero comebacks wasn't that I couldn't do the work wasn't that I couldn't get the work done wasn't that I was you know doing sh- anything shit none of that it's was just it to, it's,
1: was it a unionized shop when you were there
0: so it had just I think the union had been gone two years from what I understand it was still so like a bleeding wound in terms of like you didn't dare say that word right like you saw if, yep. you, if you whispered it guys would look over at you like why did somebody say that you word? The rumors I heard is it cost them over a million bucks to get the union out. You know, the union had done a lot of good things for them in terms of getting them decent pay, getting them better shop equipment, getting them paid holidays, getting them benefits. And so the people, though, the guys that had walked across the picket line were still in the building and were really looked after. And um, you could see that even when they finally... I guess it cost them over a million to get the union to go out. It had to have them eventually enough staff felt the union had done what it was supposed to do and they voted it out, which is a good thing for the owners, right? Yeah. Uh, You don't want one. And this is not a whether I, I don't, I'm not a union person. I don't think, you know, if you're running your business properly. I think more, unions mostly waste money. They don't necessarily yeah. make you more
1: I, I completely agree with you. You know, part of my part of my hiring process there was uh was the fact that uh, I firmly believe, still do to this day, that I can stand on my own two feet. Mm-hmm. And uh if I if I mess up, I've got big shoulders, I'll own it.
0: Yeah. So when you were trying to go or when you had gotten there, was the union there when you were there?
1: The union was there, yeah, uh, and I couldn't understand what I was paying union dues for because they weren't doing anything for me. Yeah, you know, I wanted to come in early, and uh, that's it, just the way I am. You know, I'm mm-hmm. up at the crack of dawn every day. Yeah. So as, as as soon as there was somebody opening the doors at the dealership, I was I was right behind them with my coffee in hand, and I would uh, I would uh, if I had something left over from the night before, which wasn't often because I always like to stay late to finish it. Mm-hmm. I would I would mm-hmm. get to work on it, and of course that. That uh, brewed some bad blood because people thought that I was I was you know trying to to float my hours by working extra time. Well, I mean anyone could have done it. It sure. wasn't. Uh, I was just trying to get done what I had sold. Yeah. And uh, and you know it was it was it was difficult there. I met some great guys. I think there are wow. some good technicians that came out of that place. <clears throat> but uh, there was there was a lot of underhandedness and backstabbing, you know, I, I started, when I started there, I was still an apprentice. I was, uh, I wasn't licensed and they brought me in to do automatic transmissions. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I can remember I was, that was, that was the one thing that, that I had, I had, uh, I hadn't done in the trade yet. Yep. And I was terrified of them, you know, to me looking at the inside of a valve body is the equivalent of brain surgery. And uh, I was terrified of it, but I I took the job and, uh, and um, I I was very methodical and clean about how I would take stuff apart. And I remember coming in one day and all the the parts of this transmission that I had taken apart and laid out so carefully were just jumbled up in a big mess on my bench. And I was just, what the hell am I supposed to do now? And it, uh, I mean, it got worse because, you know, there were there were guys there, and and this this is akin to to the podcast that I listened to today that that dropped Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about training. Uh, I I took every training course that they would throw my way, if it meant I was out of the shop for 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 eight hours. They paid me the eight hours, and and they paid me the travel time, but they they also paid the hotel bill, and they gave us a meal allowance. So uh, what what also came out of that was was I gained a skill set. Mm-hmm. And that was right about the time when Chrysler was mandating that the tech that did the warranty repair have the skill set to do so. Yes. Yep. So, you know, there was there was two or three of us in the dealership that had the skill set to do one thing. Here's this this young apprentice that was gaining skill set after skill set after skill set, and it wasn't even licensed yet, but uh I was getting, you know, when when the industry was slow, I was I was I was available to do work. Mhm. And, uh, it turned into, uh, fuel and electrical and drivability, yeah. which soured old McDonald. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, there was, you know, there was another guy that, that he's at the other Chrysler dealership now. And, and he and I got to be good friends when, when I worked there and we went to training together and yeah. we, we helped each other out, you know, it's mm-hmm. a flat rate world, but if I was on a waiting list doing nothing, I'd go over and help him bang off the rear brakes when he was doing front.
0: Exactly. You know, that yep. was
1: it was the same deal when when, when uh, he was standing around doing nothing and I was hustling to get a bunch of stuff done. He'd come over and help me out. And, and the looks we got, man.
0: Yeah. It scared we, people. We didn't like, care
1: who got the hours. It was just, you know, it was, it's what you did. You helped out.
0: I can remember so many times that every dealer I've ever worked at, like that was just especially tire season. And you've done it too. That's yep. kind of how you do it because that's how you get through it, right? It doesn't matter whether they're his tires or your tires. If you're both doing a set at the same time, because you know how that's how scheduling goes, you grab the balancer, he grabs the, you know, or vice versa and you just get them done, you know, because like you've got so many appointments that day for them. Yeah. That's the only way you get it done. If you stand there like a jerk off and and block both machines and try to hustle through and and without and say, no, I don't want to help you because you know, you're not going to help me. It doesn't work. It's (sighs) I wish I knew how many people have gone through that dealer and have been pushed out because of that, you know, that name that we said, because you, you ran into that wall. I ran into that wall. Yeah. Um, lots he, of other people. He wasn't
1: people. the, he wasn't the reason I left,
0: but, no. the, but oh.
1: he, he was probably part of it. He was probably part of it because management wouldn't stand up for me. You know, yeah. the union was out. I, I don't want to say I, I, I got the union out, but I know that that my vote against the union was certainly part of getting the union out. Mm-hmm. And I did exactly what they wanted me to do. I, uh, I hustled. I did every course they asked me to do. I got every specialty that they asked me to take. Um, when they asked for me to take over the front end rack after the, the front end guy moved on to his own shop, yep. I, I didn't really want to, but I did it. Somebody had to stand up. And I made the agreement that if, you know, if you'll allow me to keep all my other skills so that I can do those other jobs while I'm doing front end stuff, then, then yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And uh, and it was okay for a little while. And then they started getting a whole lot of blowback from probably from other techs. Yeah. But, uh, and then they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't stand behind what they promised. And, and that started to, that just irks me. Yeah. If you say you're going to do something, you damn well do it.
0: Yeah, it's, that's
1: that's the way I grew up. That's the kind of man I am. Mm-hmm. That's what I demand, and that's and and that's what I expect. Yeah,
0: I you've heard so, me uh, use the analogy like a dangling carrot, right? Don't don't do that to me, right? Don't put it on a string that I can't touch it. Like either tell me I I'm not having it, or give it to me and show me the path that I need to 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 take to get the goal, and I'll I'll go yeah. on the path. It's not a problem, right? I I understand that I have to work for what I want yeah i found that dealer to be very very toxic and very you know people pretended like they were your friend but they were in this they were snitches and bitches everywhere they were constantly this guy's doing this it was it was like high school all over again and i mean i and and the worst was you know one of the service advisors was the guy that had
1: been there the longest he was like that too he was you know he cut your throat
0: he was the one that crossed the picket line with the other ones yeah yeah, and there was another
1: guy that nobody else liked because he was, you know, he was uh, he was loud and kind of brash. But I got along great with him, and I got along great with him because I was happy to adjust my labor times a little bit here and there to help a mm-hmm. customer out, especially if they were going to do, you know, multiple things that I had recommended. And, and like yourself, I was always an advocate for only doing what the car needed. Yeah. And, and, you know, never, never would I ever do an unnecessary repair. I couldn't, I couldn't stand the wallet flushes. Yeah. I, I I wanted to earn my living right. And, and I, I kind of made it my mission throughout my career as an automotive me- mechanic mm-hmm. to try to dispel the myth that, that, you know, we were out to rip people off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've I've said it before. I've never seen a car that was over maintained, but I've seen a lot of services that didn't need to be done as often as they were done. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, maintenance is maintenance and repairs are repairs and it's they both, a car needs both without question. But, you know, nothing irked me more than just watching guys, you know, make eight hours by lunch because they had four yeah. flush machines going. And have I had four, four flush machines going on a car at once? You're damn right. I have, right. It came in yep, so, so, so Yeah. So I'm not going to be the hypocrite and say that I never made money like that. But it wasn't, I, I had a skill set that allowed me to take a broken car or a car that didn't work right, give them the analysis on what it needed, and give them back a repaired car. If, if somebody val- values production more than that ability, then I just anymore in my career, I don't jive with that particular mindset or management, whatever you want to call them, right? It's, it's not how I was brought up, it's not how I, was, I came up. And it's hard for me now to just to just stomach that. You know, it's it doesn't impress me. You've heard me all say, I don't care wow, he made 20 hours a day. What did he fix? Oh, nothing. He just changed, hooked up some machines and dropped flush and fluid out. Cool. Wow. Yeah. You're yeah. the man. So how did you uh how did you wind up at Toyota?
1: Well, I left that Chrysler dealership and I went to an independent shop okay. uh across the street. It was a used car dealer.
0: Yeah okay, I know the one.
1: It yep. was uh, yeah they they got themselves into some hot water yes, and uh, um, anyway that was uh, I, I I made sure that the whole service department was was above reproach on that and and I took that because they uh, they gave me a guaranteed salary mm-hmm. and uh, and and I basically got to run the show and run it the way I wanted to which meant I could recondition the vehicle to a standard that I was comfortable signing my name to. And, uh, and you know, I was doing retail repairs and I was able to interact with the customers and I, and I, I was service manager. I was, was the service writer. I was the warranty administrator and I was the instructor because, you know, I had at least one apprentice under me at the same time,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which was great until of course, fit hit the Shan and, and, and you know, uh, that business ground to a halt. Yes, it did. I, I don't <laughs> think they did anything that, that any other dealership didn't do. I right. think they just did it very successfully, and the old boys club sent the powers that be crashing down on them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Anyway, the uh, one of the owners of that uh, hightailed it out of province, and um, he had always treated me with the utmost respect and dignity. and. Um, I was going through a nasty separation and divorce, and he offered me the opportunity to follow him out east. Yeah, so I did. Now, it wasn't very long that that I was out east, and I quickly realized he was full of a lot of empty promises. And uh, one thing led to another, and, and we went our separate ways. Yeah, and uh, that's when I, I went back to to dealer life, and uh, I did I, I worked a couple of years at Honda which again, I really enjoyed
0: mm-hmm.
1: great bunch of guys, great product.
0: Yeah. Fantastic product. If you want to fantastic make fantastic product, great customer not base. Not only,
1: yeah, not only that, but it was, it was a product that you could, you could, you could believe in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I I could have, I could have spent the rest of my career working for Honda except for, I mean the general manager of that place was an absolute sleaze ball. You know, I was, I was extremely productive. I had zero comebacks. I was the guy they called out to talk to a customer to explain a difficult situation, even if it wasn't the job that I was doing. But I've always had this uncanny ability to talk to anyone on their own level. Mm-hmm. Be it, I don't want to generalize, but, you know, a ditch digger, if you want to call it, I could get down on their level, or I could turn around and speak eloquently enough to, uh, to, uh, to, to explain a situation to a federal judge. Yeah. It's it, uh, I've never had an issue doing that. In fact, I, I've always enjoyed doing that.
0: Yeah. My, my history too, in, in the dealership for the longest time when I was in Ottawa was that was the same thing. It wasn't necessarily, it was my customer, but if they, if the advisors up front that I had a really good rapport with, didn't know the answer to a question or one customer wanted to know why it was something they'd call me up and I'd come and I wouldn't spend hours talking to them or half an hour. But I mean, there yeah. was more times than not that I probably spent 20 minutes at the advisor's desk filling the customer in on what was going to be done, why it should be done, why maybe the other shop that had attempted the repair didn't do the repair properly and so on and so forth. Right. So, and I'm yeah. the same way as you, if, if you're confident in your skills and you have a reasonably good attitude, I don't have the best attitude, but if you have a reasonably good attitude talking to anybody, they're all the same level, right? They're just, it's, it's a customer relationship that's it. I've never, you know, a hockey player from the NHL could walk in. I'm going to talk to them the same way. You know what I mean? As somebody that's just works down the street at the grocery store and she needs her minivan. It's doing a weird thing. She wants to stop. it. I treat them the same. It's the way how it should be done. Right. I agree. agree. Everybody's money is the same color. And, um, you know, you've got to treat like I was the same, you know, you want to fix that car. Like your mother's driving it. Right. You want to, you want to treat that customer. Like it's your mother's budget that you're, that you're thinking about. And uh, it's always worked good for me, you know. It's it's always been good. It was,
1: uh, and and Honda was lucrative, you know. There was mm-hmm. there was a lot of things that paid really really well. Yeah. A lot of them were unnecessary. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say a lot of them were unnecessary repairs, but they were mandated by the provincial biannual inspections mm-hmm. you know if here's here's an example we all know that a, that, a, that, a, that a Dodge truck ball joint has an allowable 60 foul play well there was an allowable play according to Honda on an inner tie rod mm-hmm. but the ministry guidelines said there was there wasn't allowed you weren't allowed any play which took precedent over manufacturer specs so yeah. Honda was good enough they would pony up and they would pay under warranty to keep the customers happy so there was a lot of gravy that way. And, and, and same with a bunch of, you know, as every brand goes, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you, you learn to do well and, and mm-hmm. you learn, you, you learn how to do it properly and quickly, but there's a lot of things you have to learn to take a, take a hit on too. Yeah. You know, I, somebody else described it, it might've been the, the, the podcast that I was listening to today, uh, re-ringing a Camry. In this mm-hmm. case, it was re-ringing, uh, an Odyssey van yes Uh, you you took a bath it was it was a 12 14 hour job i don't care how good or how fast you are and it paid eight Yep. but you would do one of those for every 32 inner tie rods you replaced that that paid you know an astronomical amount of money
0: yeah or the really easy or the really easy timing belts on all the hondas had right and the water pumps and stuff like that and the control
1: at, at what point at what point do you really want to bitch yeah and anyway, I uh I was we had a guy that that uh went out um sick. Uh hospital ill and he was halfway through re-ringing an odyssey. And mm-hmm. uh, of course they needed it done so they came to me and they said, "Look, you know, this is this is an unusual situation, but will you finish this job?" Absolutely I will. Mm-hmm. Absolutely I will. Well, we can't guarantee, you know, uh this guy's already been, I'm not going to drop names, but this guy's already been paid for, for the majority of it because he had spent most of the time on it. It was paid yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, we, we can't, we can't pay him on it. I'm like, I understand that, uh, you know, but it's gotta be done. And, and, and I know the customers I've, I've, I've worked on their vehicle before and actually spoke to them before. So yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll finish it up. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, which I thought got me in the good graces with, with the service manager and the general manager. And, uh, it, uh, it wasn't long after that, that I realized that the guy working next to me who had, uh, a fraction of the experience that I did and nowhere near the productivity that I maintained right, and a much greater comeback rate than I did, than I had. I had, I had, uh, I don't think I ever had, I had one comeback and I ended up proving that it wasn't my fault. Yeah. Anyway. You know, I found out that he was making $4 per flat rate hour more than I was. And, you know, here I am working at 150, 160, 170% efficiency rate and not having any comebacks. And I find out that the guy next to me was making $4 per flat rate hour more than I was. So I questioned it. Yeah. But I wasn't wasn't rude about it. I went to the service manager and the service manager said, oh, you'll have to talk to the general manager. So I asked to speak to the general manager and, and, I, and I didn't come off strong. And I, I, I basically said to him, you know, um, I know it's not any of my business and I'm not going to discuss how I found out, but it's come mm-hmm. to my attention that X employee is making $4 per flat rate hour more than I am. I have more uh, mechanical experience Um, I haven't been at this dealership as long as him, but he's only been here six months longer than I am, than I have, than I've been, but I have more by this time I was Honda gold certified. Mm -hmm. I have more training. What do I have to do to get to his level? Yes. Oh, you've got to keep your bay cleaner. Well, I could keep my bay cleaner, but you know, we have cleaners for that every night and, uh, and that will sacrifice, I'll sacrifice productivity. If you want me to make the base spotless between every job, blah, 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 blah. He was just a, a greasy slime ball that, that, uh, you know, would, uh, had his favorites of, you know, people that would go out partying and drinking with them. And if you weren't part of that crowd, so be it. Near, so, yeah. I mean, that, that, that put the bug in my ear. Well, I'm not going to hang around this place because what the hell, mm-hmm. you know, I know my worth. Yeah, and uh, I uh, I went and talked to the Toyota dealership literally across the parking lot, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, it, it was funny. I went into that interview, and of course, it was a big dealer group. Yeah, and uh, there's a process to go through when you're applying at a big dealer group. You have to sit in front of the board, and they ask you all these questions. and And it was funny when I when I had first moved to Nova Scotia, um, the uh, this woman that I was dating uh had tried to get me into this other big dealer group. So they had called me in for an interview and I had gone through this interview process once before and, uh, I flipped it right around on them. You know, why should I come work for you? You know, let's, let's look at this. You called me. So let's look at this as, as me interviewing you. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, they were, they were completely taken back and, and I ended up not going to work for them, mm-hmm. but here I was standing in front of the same board again, uh, two, three, four years later and, uh, not begging for a job, but saying, you know, I'm not happy where I'm at and, uh, you wanted me before, perhaps we can work something out now. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm glad I did. I mean, I had to shave the beard yeah. because the, <laughs> that was, which hurt because, you know, well, I've had my oh, beard for a long time. I, yeah. anyways, I, I shaved my beard to get the job and, and that was, that was the, uh, that was the best dealership I ever worked at. I had the absolute best service manager, Craig Passmore, wherever you are out there. I think he's running, he's dealer principal, I think, at a dealership, in, a Toyota dealership in PEI.
0: Good friend.
1: Stand up guy. He, was, he was, had your back for everything. You know, he would make sure that you got, uh, you got paid for every, every last minute of, of time that you worked on it, whether it was retail or warranty. Yeah. That place <clears throat> never ran out of work. Yeah all kinds of work and uh i i regretted leaving there but but it was it was it was an amazing stepping stone i learned a heck of a lot Uh, i learned what a real service manager and a really good dealership is to work for
0: let's back up a bit not too far but i want to so when you talk about re-ring in the odyssey right and this is a scenario that i think they come to you and they say Well, we can't pay you for that. The time's already been paid out. The tech has been paid. He is unable to finish the job. Like you said, he's in the hospital. Why do they not have like an apprentice that can come along in the shop? Because we've all, you and I have worked with them, right? They're kind of, they're being brought up. They're brought along. That can be one of those jobs where there's a really good mentor opportunity for you and for the young apprentice to finish that job because he's already paid hourly anyway, right? And what a great experience. He would probably come at that job with such enthusiasm and vigor because maybe last week he was just doing recalls and oil changes. And now he gets to actually put an engine back together.
1: Yeah. Why did they not the next have? Thing how- you know, it's a, it's me and the mad scientist got to rip apart the block and change the piston rings you fried, you know, <laughs> it, was, sure. it was, it was it would have been, it would have been great to do that. It it would have uh-huh. been great to do that. and And I don't know why they didn't. Yeah. I don't think I was the first person they asked. Yeah. But I think they came to me because they knew I wouldn't say no.
0: Right. Yeah. Whether and they knew it, was- it, would get it done right. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, because you've heard me say, like, I, I will not donate my time anymore. Yeah. I, it's not to say that I've never done it. People hear me all the time and they're like, he's never done it. That's not true. I've donated lots of hours. Right. Yeah. Out of sheer guts and determination and pride if I have to know what's wrong with this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's always been in my metal that it's going to be I decide when. Not when somebody tells me. It doesn't matter who, right? I'm, I, the toolbox has got a set of wheels on the bottom of it for a reason. If I'm not okay with it, that means that I, it's not okay. If I'm willing to do it, it's because I see something that will pay off later. Right? Yes. I'll see. I'll learn something. I'll get an experience. Like you said, I'll develop a skill set. I'll do it. If you come to me and tell me I have to and I don't feel it's beneficial and let's talk, like you know, eight hours, eight hours of your pay. Let's let's go above what you were getting paid then and say, easy math. Let's say you were getting 40 bucks an hour and it's eight hours. That's 240 bucks. You mean to tell me there is a dealer owner out there that doesn't have two hundred and forty dollars that they can pay to get a job done?
1: Oh, they absolutely do.
0: Of course they can. They've got twenty four hundred dollars. They've got twenty-four thousand money is not the issue with the dealers. They have the money. It's just the principle of we don't want to set precedents. Right. And I think that's a that's a, a key point with a lot of what I think has been where so much has gone wrong in this industry is that instead of looking at us as individuals and saying, If I let, if I do that for that person, everybody will expect the same instead of standing up and saying, I did that for that person because of these reasons. And it's not favoritism, right? It might be because of the situation, whatever. Yep. It just worry about what precedence isn't set. And that's why I can't do the right thing. And we now as a collective industry have pretty much decided that you have to start doing more of what is the right thing to do because we're just not I mean look at it, right? Look at yourself. So you yeah. went on to Toyota and had a really good experience.
1: Yep, I had a, I had an amazing experience. That was it was the kind of place where where there was something seriously wrong if you weren't making 110 hours per 80 hour pay period. Most of the time we were making 140 and banking the 30. Because mm-hmm. 110 was the cutoff that would bump you into the next tax bracket. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and it was bad enough in Nova Scotia at the time. It was, it was, you know, we were taxed at 49 to 50%. And then you're paying, you know, you're again paying taxes at the at the gas pump at the grocery store, blah, 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 blah. You know the routine. Oh. And at the same time, you still gotta buy tools, you still yeah. gotta stay current. <laughs> it was but but still it was it was a great place. And uh and I regret leaving. But, uh, you know, I still know people at that dealership and talk to them on a regular basis, but it's not the same place now because, you know, the really great service manager was, was promoted and moved on. And now he's doing great things at another dealership, but they should have had someone step up to take his place that would do things the way he did, because the positive morale in that shop was, was incredible. You know, it was, uh first first break so 10 o'clock every every morning the parts truck would uh, take off and go to timmy's and uh-huh. and uh, drive into the shop with everybody's coffee order yeah you know and this came out of petty cash it wasn't something that we paid for it was it was you know if we had a if we had a really really good month, there would be a giant McDonald's breakfast for us one day. It was just out of the blue. It was, it was, you know, it was, they showed the appreciation and it's not like it was akin to the, Oh, you know, thanks for all your help. We're going to have a pizza party Mm -hmm. for you because they also ponied up and, and paid well, you know, at that time we weren't making, we all made really good money because the hours were there, but the hourly rate probably wasn't as strong as it could have been. Mm-hmm. But none of us complained because we were all, you know, at the point we were getting into the high tax bracket.
0: Yeah, yeah, enough hours to go around. You know, <clears throat> yep. a fair distribution of the hours, the whole thing. Yeah, yep. there was
1: never any. There was never
0: any argument.
1: There were there were a couple of uh, people that that got fed a little bit, mm-hmm. but. um I'm not going to say unjustifiably so they'd been there for a million years and they had cut their teeth and and, uh, they had, they had earned their stripes or earned their wings. If you want to put it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing we talk sometimes where, you know, I've seen it. I've worked with the, the, I can still remember when I, the first dealer I worked at in Ottawa, there was a gentleman there that was at the time. Oh, he had to be 59, 60. Like he was getting really close to the retirement age. And every morning he came in, And they gave him probably like three break jobs. And then the afternoon they give him some oil changes and maybe a PDI. And he consistently made his eight hours. You know, he didn't tackle a timing belt on a neon. He didn't tackle a, I mean, he was, he was a beat up old man. Uh, They didn't have him pulling the transmission out of a caravan. They just gave him, you know, lower skilled work that he could consistently hit the time on turn it out. He had no comebacks, no real issues. He wasn't too arrogant that if he, if he had something on his hoist, He would ask what it was, you know, he didn't bother. He wasn't one of these guys that would look at it like this and, you know, pretend he didn't see something because he didn't want the warranty to know for fear of doing it, right? We've seen those cats at the dealership, right? Like I didn't see that rear main leaking because I don't want to do the rear main. Yeah. He would write up everything that he was supposed to write up because he knew that he wasn't going to get saddled with it. And they just, for all intents and purposes, like you said, they took care of him. He'd been at the dealer over 20 years. His brother had worked at the dealer with him and dropped dead at that dealership. That Breathed his last breath at the job right there. So, you know, is that fed? No, it's not fed. It's taken care of. And I think yeah, as we- but if,
1: there was, if there was more of that in the trade, yeah. there would be less people leaving. Mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, I ended up leaving that dealership for- for a couple reasons, but the main reason was it was, it was time to come back to Ontario. It was time to be close to my aging parents. Mm-hmm. They needed some help and it was time to be close to my, uh, to my children who, you know, I spoke to every day in the time that I was gone, but I spent 10 years away from, I spent every, every long weekend back in Ontario and every holiday back with them and had them out for visits and everything, but it, it wasn't the same thing. It was, it was just time to come home. And, uh, and I would have loved to have come right into the Toyota dealership. When I came back, they were in fact, my, that was my first stop. And they said, well, we know the service manager of the dealership you were at. We know him well, and uh, we would love to have you on our team here. We just don't have room for you right now. Yeah, If you can stick it out and find another job to last you, you know, six or eight months, then you're going to be the first person we call.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I, uh, I thought, you know, well, I had a, such a wonderful experience at Toyota before that this is, yeah, I'm going to find something just to tide me over until I can yep. get into this place because I've got that good feeling, and uh, and I did. I worked at uh, I worked uh, in a motorcycle shop for I think it was close to nine months, mm-hmm. and really enjoyed that because that was a whole different kind of clientele. Oh, can you yeah. imagine? Can you imagine having clientele that came in were throwing their money at you? Yeah. Well, That's you know what, uh, I, I have this amount of budget, so let's do this. And then you get halfway through it and the customer calls you up and wants to speak to the guy working on his bike. You know what? Maybe, maybe I can find some more money to do this. And and you start to do that and, and he'd call you back in the next week, you know, when you're halfway through that big rebuild. You know mm-hmm. what? Um, if you're into it this far, let's do this. <laughs> I'd, I'd never seen anything like it. And I got to ride motorcycles around. Yeah. It, was, it was, you know, it was a cool job
0: completely. Uh, I'd, I'd
1: never had a service manager that said, uh, you need to get more tattoos and grow your beard out longer. So <laughs> that was a pretty cool place to work. But then Toyota called and, and the money wasn't there, right? So then Toyota called and said, hey, we've got a spot for you. And uh, I, I don't think they'd even got the words out of their mouth. And I was running to my service manager's office to put my notice in because that, that's where I wanted to be. Uh, and I fully expected to be able to go from what I knew from the brand and the way Toyota wanted their dealerships run, I expected to come into the same thing. Yeah. And the demographic, man, the demographic was so different between the East coast and, 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 uh, the Toyota dealership here. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was, but, uh, uh, you know, I went from almost triple digit salary to, uh, to, uh, barely being able to, to, you know, keep my, my myself fed. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a struggle to make. I'm just going to go and say it. It was a struggle to make. I didn't even make 50 grand a year there. Yeah. And, and you know, I was, I was, I was making 90 at the mm-hmm. uh, Toyota dealership on the East Coast. Yeah. What gives? It's the same product. It's the same warranty ops.
0: It's yeah. the same. How, how different was the door rate?
1: Not different at all. So there you go. Really, really close. So, so you know, I I don't know what the changes. I don't know. I really, but it started to get me more and more jaded because then it was, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? And at first, it was like I was the new guy. Okay, yeah. I want to I want to prove I'm a team player. Sure, I'll go out and I'll scan that car in the parking lot. Or, you know what? Okay, I'll I'll, I'll take a point two hit just so we can sell this job. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then it started to become more and more expected. Yeah. And uh yeah, it, it it got sour. It it got sour fast. And uh and uh, I, I really don't know what made me completely flip my train of thought, but I was I was sick and tired of it. I was, you know, no, I'm I'm not gonna stand up for this. I will I will do anything that you want me to do. And I was I was the guy that that, that uh you know that they would seek out to do the hard stuff. Yep you know, that place had a old, uh, right-hand drive diesel, uh, land cruiser as a, as a plow truck and it would barely run. Yeah. And, uh, we were slow one winter and, and the shop foreman at the time who I ended up replacing, he was yeah. an amazing guy. He'd been there for, you know, 30 years. Anyway, he said, uh, look, we're slow. He, you know, he seemed like a pretty bright lad. Do you want to take a crack at that, uh, at that old land cruiser and see if he can't fix it up a little bit. He goes, I'll, I'll generate a, a straight time work order for you and, and have at it. Yeah. Sure. Well, the next thing, you know, I was, I was in there and I was, I was learning how to tweak the pump and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, play with the wastegate a little bit. And and the next thing you know, that thing was plowing snow like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And, and uh, the guy that drove it, he came back in and he was cursing and swearing. I don't know what the hell you did to that thing, but it's never run that good. Uh, and that was it was a good feeling because that that was the kind of stuff that i that i like to do right i like to do what other guys couldn't or i shouldn't say couldn't what other guys didn't want to do because it wasn't lucrative it wasn't the norm it wasn't lucrative
0: yeah the challenge gets addicting eh like that's the thing yeah oh it doesn't ever you know like what will make you give up time on on a job or what made you do this or made you do Sometimes the, that ego thing just gets, gets you know, to be able to say, puff your chest a little bit more the next day and go, man, that one was a kicker, but I kicked it finally. You know, yeah. that's, that's where yeah. I, I, I thrived in that environment. I don't know where it comes from. It's just something that like, you know, and I didn't fix them all. There's cars that I didn't fix. Right. Yep. there's cars that just kicked my butt, and we either ran out of time or ran out of money or whatever. We just never could get to the bottom of it. it was too intermittent stuff like that. But yes. I fixed enough of them that I had, you know, I was proud of what I could do. And um, yeah,
1: at the end of the day, you have to get paid. And when the customer says enough's enough, I'm not paying for anymore. That's mm-hmm. you, you've got to agree to wash your hands of it too. Yeah. And uh, and I, I never had an issue with that. I would I would work my guts out for someone. As long as as long as they were gonna, you know, mm-hmm. keep paying for it, but yeah. uh, I didn't I didn't create the flat right the flat rate lifestyle. I just was forced into it, and I didn't write the rules, but I was going to follow them.
0: Yeah, was that I, I? Go ahead, go ahead.
1: I was going to say I uh, I ended up getting fairly jaded. Uh, the place went through some some management changes, some ownership changes. Yeah, and uh, I saw a lot of good people. You know, shoved out the door, and uh, some real slime balls take their place. Yeah, well, and, and that that led to me being more and more jaded. And then that amazing, amazing shop foreman that that the place had for so many years decided he was done, mm-hmm. and uh, he went to Batten and, and took me aside, and he goes, "Look, I'm going to be out of here in a year. I want you to take my place. I'm going to start grooming you. I'm 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 going to start, you know, putting a bug in in." all the upper management years that, that I want you to take my place when I leave. Okay. Well, I, I really appreciate that, that, that made me feel good. It made me feel justified in, in all the, in doing all the hard work and all the extra things that I had done for so long. Yeah. But at the same point, it was like, I, I, I the writing was on the wall. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was at that time. I'm 50 now. So I was 45, 46 starting to get sore, you know, you can only pound it out on the concrete floors for so long. It, it uh, it, I started look like, like you're doing now. I was looking for the exit strategy and, uh, and, uh, you know, the, uh, the moving into the shop form position was, was what I had hoped would be my exit strategy. Mm-hmm in moving into that i had to be at a certain skill level that was just something that toyota mandated so that meant that that this dealership that that almost never sent anyone to training had to send me for training right um uh, which was which was okay i was i was all right with that but i remember i remember talking to the instructor at the course who is this this uh, irish guy and uh and thick accent, but oh, was he ever bright? Was he ever bright? And I remember telling him that that you know I I I've got this idea that I might want to leave the industry and and uh, and and go into um, industrial mechanics. And uh, he patted me on the shoulder and Danny Mugoy I don't care what you have to do, whether you have to lie to them to get in there, you do what you have to do and you get in there. Yeah. And I, and I, I didn't lie to them, but I, I, I went into the interview and I, and I, 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 uh, I went through the, the mechanical aptitude test the same way you did the one on the, on the computer. And I, and I came out of that and I remember going to the, uh, the HR guy and, and Larry, sorry, I wasted your time. Yeah. There's no way I passed that. And he laughed and patted me on the shoulder and actually you did really well. So, uh, I, I, and then I moved on to the, you know, the seven or eight other interviews that, 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 that got me into that place. And, and, uh, and I don't want to say I sold myself because I, I, I don't think I needed to. Mm-hmm. I think that my personality rang through and, uh, and, um, it was a right fit. And, uh, yeah. So I'm in there now and, and, I haven't looked back.
0: How powerful is that though, that the guy, your trainer at Toyota, right? How powerful is that that your trainer at Toyota says to you, if you can leave the dealership and get into that industrial job, you do it. My boy that we've, we in the industry have got to acknowledge. And again, this is going to be a really dealer heavy conversation, but I mean, it's, it, it translates. It goes to other places too. When you have trainers, cause I've sat with lots of technical trainers. They're teaching guys in shops, not in dealerships. And, and they lament very similar things, you know, have said, that's a gravy train with biscuit wheels, boy. Like, you know, we have to realize that if the culture of the shops and the culture of the industry sometimes is how screwed up it must be. If you've got the people that are training and telling you to leave it, you know what I yep. mean? Now, some people may say, well, that's a bad attitude, but it's not. They're just, they're looking at you, a talented guy. They know you and going, Hey, that's, you know, you're aging out. Uh, you're at a yep. particular dealership and, you know, they all talk to one another. They know, they know that that dealership that you were at, it's had some issues. It was going through some growing pains. You said, yep. and, um, yep. I think we need to, uh, we, if we would address the reality in the room a lot more in this industry, we wouldn't have the problem that we're having. So you went through the interview process. I went through that interview process. It was intense. It was a lot of questions like sitting in that room with all those guys, you know, I can't remember their names. It's been a couple of years now since I did it. And I didn't get accepted because my attitude and personality is not the same as yours, (laughs) you know, But it wasn't a technical (laughs) aptitude problem. That's what they said. They just said, you know, we're not sure you would fit this environment. They're probably very right. Uh, And that's okay. No, no love lost. But you, you went into it and you've progressed pretty quick. Now, when I say that, before I say that, you have some other people that you have worked with that are just like yourself. They're mechanics that left dealerships. Some of them even left the dealer you had worked at. Right. Another one I know from when I worked at the Hyundai dealer store here. He works at the plant. There's yep. another young gentleman that worked when I worked at Nissan that now works with you at the plant. Like they have there's another one at the used car lot that the Nissan dealer owned, their top tech. He now works there. Like they're yep. did we say that last night there's like twenty that you could probably name off the top of your head?
1: That, I, I started trying to count last night and I lost track at eleven or twelve. Yeah. Because you know, there's there's four different shifts mm-hmm. and uh there's three different areas of the plant and we're so spread out that you can't possibly know everyone. But yeah, eleven or twelve I counted right off the top of my uh top of my head.
0: Yeah. Former high now, high performing automotive techs. Yep, yeah,
1: we were we were at the at the uh The epitome of our game, you know, we were at the at the 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 high point in our career. We were the most productive. We had all the experience, all the special tools, and we walked away. Yeah, and 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 here's here's what happened, you know, when when I left Toyota, I was making that was 2019. Mm -hmm. I was making two or three dollars an hour more than I did in 2000 and 2001. Yeah, and. (laughs) you know i know dutch is an advocate for for uh, taking care of yourself yeah. but uh, you know when you're only making 24 25 bucks an hour and you've only made 24 25 bucks an hour your entire career by the time you're you're clothing and feeding kids and 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 uh, paying a mortgage and then on top of that you're 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 paying into uh, dental and medical benefits mm-hmm. and uniforms there not anything left over to save so it, it, here we had a uh, a rival trade mm-hmm. seeking out the the talent pool from another trade yep yeah. because for whatever reason demand was so high the the, the goodyear plan in ee has been around for uh 32 35 yeah. years whatever. But you had guys aging out, right you had guys that had had their 30 years in and, and they're done. So all of a sudden this plant is losing you know people left right and center just just you know not because people were disgruntled, but because it was retirement time. So you know there wasn't enough guys in the other millwright trades and electricians to to, to start pulling into it. so they they quickly realized that the automotive trade well, we don't hold certificates as, as machinists or millwrights or electricians. Yeah. We can adapt, you know, what, what have we done for our entire careers? We fix things. Yeah, We, re- we think outside the box and we get stuff done. And, and, uh, and that was, that was the draw. But then there was also the draw that the, the base, the base wage was, I think at the time it was close to. To thirty percent higher, yeah. and on top of that, there was ten percent of your ten percent of your income went straight to your pension. Mm-hmm. The uh, the company, how does it work? If you if you contribute four percent, they match your four percent, and if four uh, percent is the maximum you contribute, and if you contribute the maximum, they'll they'll match it and add two percent. <sighs> So I contribute four of my, of my gross income and they match it with 6%. So 10% of my gross income goes directly into my pension every year. There are quarterly performance bonuses based on how well the plant does. Mm -hmm. All those go into my, into my retirement RRSP. If you have perfect attendance, there is. There is a, um, you know, a healthy bonus that goes directly into my, into my retirement RSP. So my retirement RSP, which I had nothing before yeah. in four years without a whole lot of other, you know, me stimulating yeah. it has, yeah. has increased exponentially and, and, you know, continues to do so. Mm-hmm. I never had any hope in hell of having any kind of a pension or retirement plan in the automotive industry. Uh, and on top of that, here we have this industry that, that is, is paying all of my uniform costs and, and, uh, you know, almost all of my, uh, of my healthcare. So what was costing me $500, $600 a month, 12 months of the year is, is now included by my, by my new career.
0: So not only not only am
1: I making thirty thirty you know thirty grand a year more than I was, now on top of that thirty grand a year, there's there's another seven eight thousand in in other expenses that I I don't have anymore. Not only that, but I'm not buying tools.
0: Yes, and not
1: only that, I'm not spending forty hours a week at the dealership, and then another twenty hours of my own time just trying to stay current. Yeah. You know, nobody, nobody ever paid me for that time. That was, that was what I did on my own, just so I could stay current, just so I could stay sharp, just so I could stay productive.
0: Yeah. Just so you can stay at the, at the, you know, you don't get left behind in, in your job, right? You don't get left behind in the shop, right?
1: That, that's feeding the addiction. You know what I mean? You know exactly what I mean.
0: Dude, <laughs> you know, I, I've gotten better. I don't geek out on it as much as I used to, but yeah, I used to. And it was like, yeah. I felt compelled, like I have to because, you know, uh, I want to be, I want to keep my skill set at least at that level. It's not yeah. try to push for the next. Yeah. When you talk about like it's, you know, $500 a month that you're putting that all of a sudden is being saved, that's like working three extra shifts. You know what I mean? That you don't have to work now. It's, it's this industry can learn a lot from that because like you said, we're very lucky in Canada. We were joking. My mom and I, the other night about how she has friends and they want to have a child. So they didn't have the necessary, a great healthcare plan where they were in the U S so they're saving up money to go have their first child. You know what I mean? We're lucky up here, but it's still, when you think about glasses, braces, contacts, like, um, you know, Uh, chiropractic treatment, massage, orthotics for your shoes. I just, I, I got them for my boots. Frigging things are expensive. You know, it's a thousand bucks on my feet. When we look at that kind of stuff, some of us get clouded and we get too focused on well, what's the job paying hour. Right. And I think that comes from our, our background, you and I both, right. Our background of, okay, so I'm doing the math in my head. I get paid X per hour. The job pays X right i know how much money i'm gonna make to do that job now then it becomes a game of of getting it done as fast as possible so you can get another one so we lose sight sometimes we don't think ahead i i'm terrible with money management i'm terrible at investing for my future i'm doing better than i was but i'm still not where i need to be and um see i i
1: i've i've flipped 100 percent. you know i i i I don't know whether it was because I couldn't, but there was never any money to invest. Mm-hmm. But uh, now that I, now that I have some more disposable income, yeah, I try to live at that same level that I did on my, yes. my old income. But, but I know full well that I, I can't keep this up forever. You know, my everything mm-hmm. hurts, you know, my eyes hurt, my hands hurt, my teeth hurt, you know, holding yeah. a flashlight in your mouth for so many years. And I oh. know, I know it's finite, right? I, I, I'm 50 now. I maybe have another 15 years Mm -hmm. and uh, I am going to give it my absolute everything. And I know I'm not as fast as, as a lot of the young guys, but I outweigh some of these guys by, (laughs) by, you know, a hundred, 120 pounds.
0: Yeah.
1: When there's heavy shit to lift, I I'm the bulldog. I will, I will do whatever I can to slug it out and, and, and be part of that crew and, and do my part. I I simply cannot be what I was in the automotive trade. Like I like yeah. I said at the beginning, I feel like a first or second year apprentice now because there's a lot of stuff that I don't know. Mm-hmm. AC electrical,
0: <laughs> I'm
1: much better at it now. I'm comfortable with it now, and I know how to be safe around it. But I was it was like it was so daunting when I first went in there. Oh yeah, dealing with uh, with with PLCs and and different platforms and different programming, it. it uh, you know, if I dealt with it every day, I would probably be proficient at it. But at my end of the plant, I'm dealing with older equipment that it's been there since the plant was, was first built. Yeah. And, uh, I get to do what I love and what I do best. And that's, that's fix stuff and make it work. And, and, uh, you know, I I don't want to, I don't want to steal David Freiburger's, Freiburger's, um, Terminology, but at some point you just have to get it running. Don't get it right; just get it running. Exactly, because there aren't parts. You know, with the, this this whole pandemic has changed um, has changed every industry out there. Mm-hmm. We can't get parts. You know,
0: what are you supposed to do? Well, and that's an interesting thing because, like, I've seen that now. You're kind of stepped away from the industry, but now everybody in the industry right now is talking about EEPROM right and how they're able to salvage a module now like you know because you know in the dealer there was only one way to do it and that was the way the dealer way and that was it the way that these guys have been able to hack this and you know chip repair and swapping chips so that you know it's amazing, Dan. And I, I sit there and watch these way smarter cats than me do these videos and, and talk about this kind of stuff. And I'm lost. I'm totally like lost. They're just like at another level. And it's so cool, but it's been driven by the part shortage. It really has. And then I'll tell you, even the parts that you can get, the quality is terrible. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. terrible. Yeah. You know, brake rotors don't last as long as they did two years ago. I don't care what anybody says. They're rusting yep. up faster than they were, you know, front end parts garbage man garbage
1: like i see the same thing with with pressure transducers mm-hmm. and and steam fittings you know what would last six months is now lasting a month before it yeah. has to be replaced it's it's the, the quality is just it's gone and what do you do you, yeah. you adapt and you try to overcome but uh it, it is what it is so you you I, made mean, I- and-
0: oh go ahead go ahead
1: no, you you go ahead.
0: Okay. So you made a good comment when we were talking real quick last night. You said that you'd seen now with all the kind of – that the plant had hired away from Kingston, these techs that are now working for you or working with you, right? You working over them, whatever. They're on your team. You see that there's now a shortage that's even compounded within the technician shortage. But in my area, I would agree 100%. I've, we, I talk to people all the time in my area. I can't think of a shop that isn't trying to hire a tech right now. There was yeah. a shortage and there's a massive shortage already in the industry. And then in my local area, it's huge because they sucked up a lot of the talent, right? So yeah. you're saying that now you're talking last night, it's driven the prices up or the pay up in my area a little bit. It's still not anywhere near where it needs to be. We're still underpaid in this area by gross. I agree. But you're saying now that you're seeing some of the guys in the, in the, it's getting closer to what it's, you know, paying for your job. And you're seeing guys that are like, we talked last night, we talked to two guys that, that went back, you know, left the, the shift work thing, I think is what is hard on some people. Right. To make it. It it is.
1: Personally. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I'll be on, I'll be on nights this weekend and, uh, I don't have any problem adapting Mm -hmm. to the to the flip flop back and forth. Personally, I like it. I love having days off during the week. You know, if I've got to deal with with which I haven't had to deal with my entire life, if I have to deal with medical appointments or legal stuff, or or you know, I'm doing a bunch of renovations to to my to my house, I can do it myself, and I can do it during during the week on my time off. Yeah, I, I'm still working the same amount of hours that I that I ever did at, at a shop, but it's mm-hmm. it's spread out. You know, now it's twelve hour shifts, and it is what it is.
0: Do you find? I mean, I'm I'm gonna think I, that I already know the answer to this because I know what you're like. I was gonna ask you, did you find the twelves hard to do? But then I think you and I are probably cut from the same. That most days we were probably there already ten anyway. Yep. Right. So two more doesn't make a difference. Like I was, no, I I, was I don't same. have any problem with it. Yeah. I was the same when I was at the dealer, like we our eight to five was our regular shift. And, uh, I was there most days, seven, 15 till after six, you know, yep. that was just, that was the day for me. So it wasn't quite 12, but there's also days I was there till nine. There was lots of nights where the sales department would come walking through the shop and I'd still be there working on something and yep. they'd be like, uh, you're still here. Yep. Okay, and the way that worked is they locked everything. You would bring your car in and park it in the service bay so that the security system was all like set up in the showroom and all that kind of jazz, but we didn't have security system back in the back shop. And you just drove out the door at the end door of the shop and it would open and come down and everything was locked. And that's how you left. If you didn't bring your car in by that time and you walked through the man door and then got in your car, you'd set the alarm off, but you could drive out. And it was cool. And I can remember so many nights, the one, I can't remember the salesman's name, but he'd come out there and he's like, you're still working. And I'd be, you know, arse deep in some caravan with the interior torn out of it. Right. Fixing wiring under the carpet and all that kind of jazz. And he would just shake his head and laugh. And um, there's some nights too, like the salesman They had all off-brand stuff, right? They didn't drive. This is the thing. Yep. A lot of people like the salesman, they tell you that's the greatest product in the world, but like most of the salesman cries with Honda, right? So the one old guy, he'd be all the time, he'd be like, Will you look at my Honda? Sure. I'd, so like I'd be there at night and I'd look after, I'd look at his Honda, I'd put a set of brakes on it or, you know, put like, a water pump or tie rod or something like that. Like it's just they started to realize that, okay, like, wow, he's not scared to work on other brands. No, man. I, you know, my background before I came here was, you know, a little crappy shop where we worked on anything. We worked on sobs, we worked on bulls, we worked on dodges, we worked on, it didn't matter if it had wheels that came in, right. With old triumph. Sure. Bring it in like garbage. I I I worked,
1: I worked for, for a lot of years for, for an independent guy here in Kingston. Um, and, uh, he, he taught me so much. I mean, he was a grouchy old bastard and, uh, (laughs) uh, a horrible, horrible businessman, but a very, very sharp mechanic. And he always taught me just be smarter than the car. And that gave me the ability to one day be working on a 38 Buick or a 36 Pierce Arrow. And, uh, you know, there's only so many times you can fix a cracked flathead six cylinder head because it's overheated, you've got to start figuring out what the hell you can do to fix the overheating problem. Yeah. And uh, you know, it would be smarter than the car. So, I mean, at that time I had, I had worked at Ford for a little bit and gone back to this independent garage. And I remember a Ford vehicle having an external water pump. And I think it was, I think it was one of the double overhead cam, Bubble generation tauruses. Mm-hmm. it was the three liter six cylinder had, had this external water pump. Yeah. And we added that, ended up saying, Hey, why don't we just get one of those and add it to it? And we pumped coolant into the back of the cylinder, the head at the same time. Yeah. And you know, we adapted and we overcame. It was be smarter than the car. So I could work on any of that old stuff. And then the very next day be, you know, like you said, arse deep into the wiring problem on some new vehicle yeah. that, uh, that, uh, it, it was just all a question to be smarter than the car. Yeah. And I and I love that
0: challenge. Yeah, I I did too. Right, like, and it didn't always pay well, but I I was lucky. I've had I've had good I've had good warranty clerks, and I've had good advisors that you know like really valued what I would do for them, and uh, made sure that it was going to be okay. Right.
1: Yeah. Hey, here here's my take on things, Jeff. These dealerships, uh, a, a good dealership, isn't a license to print money, but does very well at least it was when i left and i could have i could have foreseen staying in that industry if you had a good dealership with a good dealer principal that understood everything that that everyone went through mm-hmm. we as technicians are adaptable there really isn't anything we can't do i mean Lots of techs out there are, are 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 pretty gruff and don't have the personality to deal with to deal with the general public. But lots of us do. you know, I'm not gonna toot my own horn, but but, uh, you know've I've done the service advisor and the service manager role. I didn't like being a manager to my peers, but I liked the role because because I could step up and explain to Mr. and Mrs. Smith why this wasn't you know, a warranty claim and, and why we had to do what we had to do. And, and and if you, if you have a good dealer that recognizes those traits and, and uh, allows those personality traits to flourish, when guys start to age out, you can move them into other positions. You know, the time would that solve. Oh, or if, if you, you went, if you went to a service advisor that that knew what it was like to work on that vehicle or or similar vi- or any vehicle, and, and and you know understood why you couldn't do it in the allotted one hour labor time, mm-hmm. if if you had everybody working together as a team, man, what an industry it would be!
0: Yeah, and so here's an interesting thing: we've got a an episode that's going to drop. I think it comes out Tuesday. If not, it comes out very soon. There's another guy on TikTok, Chris Craig, and he's an advisor. And he talks about so, Chris, before he became an advisor, was a tech and he didn't stay a tech very long. And he went into an advisorship role and he moved around a lot. He's got a lot of horror stories from being an advisor, but he, he, everything he says, the key thing with what you take from Chris is everything is a learning opportunity. You just got to treat it that way. But we had some interesting conversations about how, yes, you know, if we could get more techs. If the pay wasn't such a pay cut when you're done, when you're aged out physically, right? And you can't, you know, so because we all say, well, you know, like you talked about, the, the foreman role looked like it was going to be your your way to transition out, to finish out. You know, we can only have one foreman in most shops. Unless you run two shifts, maybe you can have two, right? But there's so many techs that when they, they age out, like, yes, it'd be great if you could go and work in parts. It'd be great if you could go you know, work the, a service advisor position. I've never, ever, ever worked with a parts guy that was like, had been an old tech, you know what I mean? In In a dealership scenario, they had tend to be young kids that they brought in because their, their PC skills were good. Right. Or they were good. Yeah. You know, but I always thought that would be great if you had the old techs that, you know, could transition that, but it's such a pay cut, right? It really is. Yeah advisor and, and that,
1: that's that's the other thing that 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 has to change i mean you're never going to retain any talent if 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 the money isn't there not not when you know well i'm a perfect example me and 20 of my peers at my new career you know we all left why did we leave we can be as disgruntled as we want we left for money and we left for for the security that, that the money provided, and not only the <clears throat> the difference in 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 our disposable income, but the the difference to our to all of a sudden we had a retirement plan.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, and if if I, I'm one of the older guys at, at the at the plant, right? So I hate to say that, but I am. <laughs> but you've got guys that are coming in late twenties, some mid twenties, some early thirties. Uh, they conceivably put in another 30 years. Mm-hmm. I can't, yeah. I'm never going to max out my pension, but, but no. I'm going to do everything possible to, uh, to jam as much into that, that pension RSP and my other personal RSP and tax free savings account that I can now that, that I was never able to do before.
0: When That's I, my and only hope. <laughs> and, and it's so funny. Like when I interviewed there, I was again, the oldest guy interviewing that day. And it was the same thing. It was younger. And I think of the three other people that went in with me that day and we all did our testing, wouldn't you know, the same other three plus myself, we were all automotive techs, all interviewing for these jobs, right? Because they've been popped up on Indeed and popped up on, you know, Job Monster and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, they're hiring. And, you know, if you have 310S, 310T certification, you know, automotive truck coach, come apply for this job. You know, we need your skill set. And, you know, I, I remember it was good because you know how it is when you're tech, you go anywhere, right? You end up talking shop and it, but it, there I was. So I'm, I'm thinking as I'm doing the interview, I'm here with three other mechanics that are trying to get out. And then, you know, it in the plan as well, even some of the established guys that are have retired out now, they jumped to the plant 30 years ago where they had been techs. They weren't all millwrights, right? Um, the guy that took me through, I can't remember his name, but we did the, you know, the on-hands rebuilding the pump. He was an old, he was an old tech. He'd been a tech. He still worked mm-hmm. at, at home. You know, yeah. he's talking about his customs side-by-side that he built, right? He's still a tech, but yeah. he got out of the industry 25 years ago and took this great job when they built the plant there. Right. Like, so yeah. it kind of made me laugh because, you know somebody back then probably would have never said to him, Oh, you're a quitter or "Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, look at you. It's all, they probably would have went, look at, look at John. You know, he got himself a really good job when the plan opened 25 years ago. Now he's retiring out. He's like, but yet I see this, this animosity lately towards like young Colin. That's, that's, he's catching a lot of flack from some people that are like, you're quitting. You got, somebody said, oh, you have no passion. It's not, I've known you a while. It's not, you don't lack passion. I yeah. don't lack passion. Somebody that gets burnt out and wants to quit and leave and go to somewhere <coughs> else. They don't, it's not that they don't have passion, yeah. but everybody has a limit, right? Everybody they, has. There the was key. a
1: t- there was a time not that long ago. Where I would, uh, I would I would work, work my, my eight to five, to five mm-hmm. and then I would spend, I would spend another four or five hours working, working on my, on race, my car. race car. Yeah,
0: yep. uh,
1: which wasn't really, wasn't really a race car, car but, but it, was it was autocross or or yeah. whatever. It was my my toy car. Yeah, and, and 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 I mean, I, I miss doing that. I I can't wait to to. Have the time to uh, yeah. to start playing with my my new project because you know uh, now I, now I have a little bit of disposable income that I can throw at it and I've got to weigh the balance between how much do I want to put into retirement but hey I'm I'm old but I I want to still have fun and yeah. and I want to do this while I can still wrench so you know I I, I fully plan to open you know the QA one parts catalog and order everything for a fox body for this this old Fairmont futura and uh and go to town and, and i and it it's like it's totally reinvigorated my my the passion that used to be there it, it's relit the flame you know i was i was out in my garage this afternoon hanging hanging led lights thinking okay well i can bring the futura in here this this winter and mm-hmm. and uh i chopped half the uh, built-in workbench out of the garage so i could i could slide my my epic toolbox Into that corner and, 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 you know, I'm looking at it going, okay, well, the compressor's there. I don't have that many more air tools, but I can run airlines here. And it's just, all that passion is starting to come back. It never fully leaves you. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I still think that if the automotive industry could, could fuel that passion, well, not grinding away and and Mm -hmm. chewing us up and spitting us out then then what a fantastic industry it really would be yeah I, i i don't have the answers but but i don't regret leaving it
0: you know i know some guys talk about like their dealership maybe they send them to you know they won tickets to the molson indy or something right and they came home absolutely jazzed about you know fixing cars again and wasn't that cool and all that kind of stuff but I think the reality sets in really fast, right? When you come back, because you're still back to that same, oh, look at this first job I got handed today. Like, it, it, it's, I'm not going to make any money on that. Like, it just that, that, or, you know, if we, if we step away from the flat rate commission based our kind of argument for a minute, if you get that car that just kicks your butt, you know, and there's a deadline and everything else. That's the grind, you know what I mean? And we all just accept it and we embrace it and it's cool. We, we, we work through it. I don't have, you know me, I don't have the passion for cars anymore. Yep. You know, I, I'm all about the fishing thing, but I mean, it's the same thing. Like I, I know lots of texts that, well, actually our, our friend Mark, Mark still loves wrenching on cars, right? But Mark wrenches now on like his fun thing is he wrenches on boats, you know, or yeah, he went and, and into that thing where now Mark does, you know, standalone gensets and stuff like that. Like, he, there's so many things that if you're got that skill set that we have, I'm not saying, you know, that to leave the automotive industry, but just keep that in mind. You know, if you just think that, like, if you're so burnt out, don't think, okay, I, I want to go a completely different path and go into culinary or go into, computers or something i mean do ultimately at the end of the day do whatever makes you happy but realize that you can take like you did that skill set that you have of fixing things making things work getting it running not necessarily running right but getting it running you can take that and people will pay good money for that skill set that you bring that outside of the box thinking that problem solving ability that you know grind and grit and determination of you know all that intuition that we develop from how something feels and sounds and smells and, you know, how it acts, that's all stuff that people need. And it's sometimes, it's a skill set that you don't learn it any other way, yep. but just going through it. And it's, I think it's a talent that is the next generation coming up. We don't, you, you and I got it a different way because we we pissed around on, you know, old stuff when it was before we were using the job. You know what I mean? You've heard me talking all the time about how Ian and I would fart around on that green old truck of his before we ever were mechanics, right? It's what got us. So we developed a way of thinking and a way of that's when we had the passion. The passion's not gone, but you know, the grind is, is the job. The grind is the job. It's the way we have to approach the customers. It's the way we have to approach the, the vehicles. It's, and I'm not in a bad place. I'm not. I'm in a place where, you know, nobody's forcing me to turn X amount of hours by the end of the day. I don't, I left that life a long time ago. I will not do it again. To me, it just doesn't jive. And it's not that I can't produce. There's just so many variables outside of my control that affect my production that it's a moot point at this point. We don't even discuss it. You know, did you fix the car? Yeah. Do we get it done on the day that needed to be done? Yep. Cool. Right on. Perfect. Here's your paycheck. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If we could go to that, then then I think we would have a whole lot more people that we could sell this industry to. Yeah. And it's not a case of I'm not saying that production doesn't matter. You and I have produced a lot of hours in our day. I've never had a problem production wise. You know, it's just when we start to move up in that skill set, like you said, you were known as the guy that could go and, and fix anything they gave you. You got to the bottom of it, you fixed it, you made it work. I had that same thing that has to be better compensated than we're currently doing in this industry. And there's so Uh, many. agree.
1: agree. Because you're you're taking that guy that, that, that can do all that and you're taking him out of regular production where he can make the money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You don't have uh, 20 of them in a shop, right? You don't have a 20. You might be lucky to have four and say in a 20, you might have 25% of your guys you know, can do it. You might have. Yeah, and
1: out of, that, out of that, you you usually have one guy that enjoys doing it. Right. But, you know, how you, you stop enjoying it when when you can't buy a pizza on Friday night or or a six-pack of beer because there isn't enough in the paycheck to do it.
0: Yeah. Or you had just a, an absolute butt kicker of a week where it just seemed like it was one problem car after another. And you got through it, man, and you walked out of there with 40, 48, 50. And then you watch the guy that, like, if his own car didn't start tomorrow, he'd have to come and ask you what was wrong. Yeah. And he made 60. Yeah. And his bay's a mess because every empty, you know, it's full of transmission fluid jugs and, and transfer case with coolant and, and, you know, spark plugs are piled up on the end of the bench because he did a bunch of... D- yeah. He's had done a week full of wallet flushes. and you know. Yeah. So we have to remember that what we're selling here isn't time. What we're selling is a repair and we're selling value. And sometimes that's going to be a lot more expensive than just an amount of hours put into the repair. We have to think about the value of who are we putting on that job? What are they worth to us? What are they normally could be doing? And then it's got to at least match that. And that's just good business, not just from paying the tech, but it's just good business. It just makes more sense, you know. Would you, so I guess I don't have to ask but I'll ask it anyway. You're not, you don't regret the the change you made. No, not at all. No. And you would tell, you would probably tell the other people too, right? If, if you're not happy, seek that something like that out.
1: Yep. Now, yeah. now that being said, if, if the industry was different, I would go back to it. Yeah. It's not that I, it's not that I dislike it, you know, it, it, it had always been my dream to have a speed shop, mm-hmm. but I don't think, I don't think in our little corner of the world, I don't think that you could have that anymore because nobody wants to pay. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to, uh, everyone wants the instant gratification of, of bolting something on. Nobody wants to pay for custom workmanship. Nobody wants to. So it, it is what it is that the, the harsh reality is to, to exist in our society with ever increasing, costs of living and, 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 and costs of housing, you go where the money is. So
0: very well put, do I
1: regret leaving? No. Would I go back? If money wasn't an issue, if I was independently wealthy, Mm -hmm. I would probably go back because yeah, probably because it's what I know, you know, it was, it was close to 30 years that I did that and and as much as as much as I was disgruntled and wanted to leave and as much as I really enjoy my new trade mm-hmm. I mean my new trade has given me a whole new skill set that yeah. that I didn't have before you know with my house renovations i have i have i have wired things and and moved outlets around and added circuits and and you know I would never have thought of of doing that before. Even though, you know, I, I, you know, wiring was my jive. I love yeah. doing hard wiring stuff, but, you know, I'm not going to do it with, with AC electrical because that, that's going to kill me dead. <laughs> and it's going to hurt the whole time.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, <is>. <laughs> um I used to joke and say even if I won the lottery, I, the, the running joke, as I said, if I won $10 million tomorrow, I would come back and buy the dealership. And then I had like a list of people. That I used to just tease them and say, and I'd fire you and you and you. And then I would just work here just for the fun of it. Yeah. So it's just, I'm, I'm, my answer is the same. I mean, I, I, you know, I'll have to transition it eventually, but I mean, I, I still enjoy this industry, but where I get off now and in this industry is, is doing like you and I are doing, we're talking about it, right? We're trying to make it better. We're trying to have the conversations about what makes it better for people. Why, why did a guy like yourself leave? Why did a guy at the top of his game leave it all behind? you know and it's not always to shine negative i don't want to do that you know and i will have people on that are killing it and loving it and in it and doing well i've had them on before i'll have them on again i'll have more of them but it's we have to tell both sides of the of the of the equation because that's the only way that that people that are listening can can hear why people go you know i do mean you, do you think it's
1: a generational thing
0: i honestly don't I really don't, man. Like, think about it. We all got, we all got duped when it was pretty easy technology, right? Like it was a carburetor and a distributor. And so that was going away when, when you and I were both coming up, but I mean, it was still, there was enough of them out there and we were still like, I I read hot rod magazine from the time I was probably 12 years old. And I, you know, always bought them fry burger, Mm. like roadkill, all that car craft. Like that was my life. You know what I mean? That's what I wanted to do was like take a small block Chevy. And if it made 400 horsepower last week, I wanted to make 410 this week. That was what I wanted to do. You know, that's what got me into it. I'd grown up around it. My father was an auto body guy. So, I mean, I was always around old cars, but when I got into the reality of the job, I realized that's not reality. I didn't mind what I was still doing because at the end of the day you're still taking something broken and you're improving it. That's addictive. Certain people really like that. So it's not a generational thing. That the idea that people say, well the young people, you know, they don't have this or they don't have that. The young people have just the same skill set that you and I do, right? It's just in a different way. What they get off on is they can go and hook up a computer and and load software and EPROM work and stuff better than any any of us ever will. It's just where they're comfortable. They grew up with those components in their hand from the time they were four, right? Some kids have a cell phone when they're four that they're playing with. Their technology is their thing. It's not a generational thing. It's not that they don't want to work. But man, they're smart enough to know that if I'm going to walk in and I'm going to get paid only $18 an hour and I've got to be in charge of somebody's $100,000 Chevy, you know, Suburban, escalate whatever and I'm in charge of making sure that that thing leaves with the wheels torqued properly all the oil in the engine the TPMS relearn the oil you know oil life reset and all that jazz for $18 an hour or I can go do you want fries with that for $18 an hour and I don't have to buy a bunch of tools and I don't have to spend $250 on a pair of work boots and I don't have to get docked out of my paycheck you know $50 $50 a week for uniforms. If we can realize that we're not we're not playing ball yet with where we need to be to get the young people in, we're getting better. We're better. But we still have when we look at the cost of everything and we look at the, the tooling is such a huge thing. The tooling yeah. is such a huge thing. And I was talking to a shop owner, a local shop owner today, and he's trying to get somebody to come in. He just bought a used, a used maximizer from our friend Chuck. And it's going in his shop and he's going to start filling tools into it so that if he gets a really good apprentice, third year apprentice, you know, somebody about to write his license, whatever, her license, and they're lacking, that's going to be theirs to use. We, I'm starting to see more and more shops do that. But I mean, think of it when you and I were coming up 20 years ago, there wasn't, you couldn't have walked into any dealer or any shop and they would have bought you a tool cart and they would have bought you tools. You know, it was just expected that, oh, you want to change oil here? You want to do brakes? You want to do tires? You want to do, okay, you're going to need a torque wrench. You're going to need a torque stick. You're going to need a $200 Ingersoll impact gun. uh, You're going to need all these sockets. You're going to need wrenches like, oh, and don't be borrowing people's too many times or we're going to, you know, they're going to tell you to F off because three times and that's done. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't be holding to them to that kind of thing. But it's such an obstacle now with the price of what stuff is.
1: It it makes a difference, right? You know, when I started at Goodyear, it's like, uh, so I guess I should start to, uh, what do I need for a tool list? Have you got a tool list? Oh, yeah. Don't worry about that right now. Well, I do have to worry about it because I don't want to come in here day one and not be prepared. Yep. Well, here's what's going to happen. Day one, we're going to give you a toolbox. Wait, what? Yeah, we're going to give you a toolbox, and then there's a tool list, and uh, and then we're going to give you. Uh, you don't have to take it, but we're going to give you the opportunity to to take part of our our tool purchase program. So we're going to give you a a three thousand dollar chunk of money to go buy tools from our suppliers, and it will be uh, zero interest, payroll deduct, and until it's paid off. So if you don't have extra stuff that you want to bring in, don't bring your Snap-on stuff in here because, you know,
0: yeah, yep. other
1: people might be using it. Then, uh, then uh, you know, leave the good stuff at home. But, um, you know, we'll take care of you. And I was thinking to myself, wow, nobody's ever done that for me before. It was, uh, I mean, I got some hand-me-down stuff along the way from a couple old techs here and there. But it was never stuff that they couldn't live without. It was just, you that's know, right. this will make your life easier. Here's this old nine sixteenths that I bent and you know with two ninety yeah. degrees in it, and it'll be great for adjusting distributors. Yeah. And yeah. I was given it when there was no more distributors to adjust, right? So <laughs> I, I've that's done it up I, with it.
0: I've had some extra hammers, I've had some extra wrenches, some extra pliers, right? And I've seen the kid come in and, and he's a good kid. And, you know, it's like you're seeing them and they're spending a fortune every week on the tool truck. And it's like, okay do you need a set of slip joint pliers? Yeah. You need a set of side cutters. Okay. I'll bring you some in. They're just sitting at home in a bag. They're not doing it. They're riding around the back of my vehicle. Like, you know, they're good stuff. They're old, but they still work like quality stuff. Yeah. What I owe you for? Just whenever. And that's the answer yeah. I give whenever, you know, yeah. which means then, you know, no stress. It just means that I appreciate you. And, you know, I can see that you're, you're making an effort and you're working hard. And that's what I want to do to help you stay doing what you're doing, you know? So I, uh, I want to thank you for having this conversation.
1: Oh, thanks you know, for having me on.
0: It, it, um, it's, it's, I think, I, like I said earlier, it's important. And I, I mean, I've, you know, I've been, I've been jiving to get you to, to do this because it's a different perspective than, than anybody that's been on yet. Right. Like there's lots of us that have left, but they're kind of harder to connect with, you know? Yeah. and, because of the, how I knew how you would be was why I could have you on because you're going to be, you know, honest and upfront and level headed about it all. You the, know?
1: the, the, the biggest thing for me to get used to not doing it every day is, uh, okay. Number one, I drive a new vehicle mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. I need something dependable to get me to and from work every day. And, and not that an old vehicle can't be dependable, but I, 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 I bought a new vehicle because I needed something Knew that I didn't have to keep working on, and uh, well, I wanted something that I don't have to lie un- lie underneath in, in my gravel driveway anymore. Uh, that being said, I can't leave anything stock, mm-hmm. and uh, and but I have no problem farming out the stuff that I w- I don't want to do anymore. Yeah. You know, for the first time, for the first time in my life, it wasn't that long ago that I paid someone to build me an exhaust system, or I I paid someone to put a lowering kit in my dually. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it was, it was a hard pill to swallow. I paid Mark to fix my boat, you know, it was, uh, it was like, well, number one, now I can afford to number two. I I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. And and now, you know, I don't have the boat anymore. I had to, I had to, I had to let it go because other stuff had to take priority, but I don't regret it. But, but now, you know, I uh, I take my truck in and I have it serviced at a small shop with a uh, the uh, a young owner operator has has gone out on on a limb and he's doing it on his own so Mm -hmm. I support him you know I don't I don't I don't ask what it costs I don't expect to get any better deal than I would anywhere else I expect it'll be a little bit less than the dealer but that's you know that's uh, I I'm not getting the pressure so. uh, it, it, it's just nice to be able to do that. And, and it's nice to be able to be the customer a little bit for a change as well.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I hope to get there one day where, you know, I mean, right now I'm, I mean, I drive a Jeep. It's pretty reliable, but I mean, it's not going to stay reliable forever. <laughs> that's just the reality of it. And then, you know, but I, I'm the same way, right? If I need my boat done, I just take it to a professional. I take it to Mark. Cause I want, yeah. you know, for me, it's my leisure time. It's my fun time it needs to be at least as reliable as my daily. That's because that's, you know, I'm working for, I'm working for my free time at this point,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. And And if you've got to spend all your free time working on, on, on something that you use for your, for your free time, then it stops becoming enjoyable. So at that point, yeah.
0: And that's the fine line, right? When we talk about the guys that, that, go home from the job and then try to build a clientele or try to build a, you know, they side hustle or whatever you want to call it side work. That's not that I never did it, but I always wanted to make enough money when I was at the job that when I came home from the job, I didn't have to continue to work. If I yeah, did it, yeah. it's because I wanted to do it. I wanted to help a friend out. You know, I was helping the friend out at that point, just for free, just for fun, yeah, just yeah. to, just to, you know, I didn't want to have to or I have to go home at five and work till nine you know three nights a week do x amount of break jobs or something like that just to have that extra money to go on vacation next year and i don't knock the guys that do it if you want to do that man do it i just i want to we shouldn't have to you're not coming home from your job now and and taking your skill set and going out and farming it you know to customers to undercut you get it right you just you just do your job and then you come home like every other trade but you know anyway i won't take up any more of your time i see your little cute doggy there was going to want to play with you yeah she wants to go out (laughs) mine mine's outside right now so i'll have to get her in but i want to thank you man for coming on here this is uh, and i appreciate your support for the for the podcast you've been you've been awesome in terms of you know, telling me how much you enjoy this episode and that episode. And, you know, yeah. like you said, you've, you've been listening to a bunch of them because it's just, you put them on in the background and, and, and that's, yep. that's what it's about. That's why I do this. Right. I do it's, this. Because, uh,
1: you know, I, I can't believe how much I, I actually relate to, to some of these other guys, you know, and even, even the guys that, that I have difference of opinions with, and I don't, I I've never met them. I don't know them. I probably never will meet them, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, you know, I, I understand their point of view and it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's enjoyable.
0: Dude, so, my, phone, I, I, my, my phone blows up with people that I've never met that just say every day, I probably get a message from somebody saying, you know, what you said in that episode or what he said in that episode or what she said in that episode resonates to my core. You know what I mean? Like there's such a common thread, a common story between so many of us, right? You're not the only yeah. guy that's done what you've done. You're just the only yep. guy that I knew from the plant that that you know would would tell yeah. that story. And and I and like I said, I had you on because you wouldn't tell it with a thank f and I got the heck out it. You know, you you didn't come across like that, and that's what I don't want. You know um i don't want it to be all angry and mad at it i just want people to have a nice level-headed conversation that can say this yeah. is why i did it this is why it happened this is why i think it's happening and this is what yeah. we should do to stop I, I, it. I spent a lot of good
1: years in that trade and uh they weren't all bad so nope. i mean i'm not going to sit here and shit talk it there was i had a lot of fun met a lot of great people
0: um, well you know, friends for life that kind of thing you know exactly it's- right that's that's what i hope we can be and that's the thing like it you know, starting like where we started that post that you put up f- almost four years ago resonated yeah. with me because it was like, I don't even know that guy, but my God, I'm standing there applauding when he's, you know, saying. No, and, and- I,
1: I, I couldn't believe the reaction it got. You know, I, I, I know that it got a, something like 1100 shares off yeah. of mine alone. And then it was shared by, you know, countless other people and, and, uh, and I didn't realize how much of an effect it actually had. It, it just, uh, you know, when we started, when you asked me if I would, if I would sit down and, and do this, I, I kind of reread it. And then I reread some of the comments and, and, yeah. uh, and there was people that, you know, I don't know. And they're in a completely different country, you know, yeah. a completely different demographic. And they're like, yeah, you know, right on brother, you know, whole, we, we feel you. And it's, it's mm-hmm. like, Wow. So it's not just here and it's not just me. And it's, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And that's what, so that's in closing, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take people that feel the same way to tell their story and speak up and do something. We can't all just sit on our hands and complain, right? Yeah. You gotta, I say it all the time if you're not happy at the job right now, there is no better time to go find another job than right now. You will go and make more money wherever you go, because you can negotiate for it. They have no choice. We have them, unfortunately, at the advantage at the moment is on our side. So if you're yep. not happy and you're listening to this.
1: You, you know, the last thing that, that, that someone at Toyota said to me when I tried to implement some changes to make things better, and it wasn't a tax, if you don't like it, there's the door. Yeah. Well, at one point, it was just, you know, okay, don't there's stop. the door. and by the way I'm taking 30% of your text with me
0: hey if you could do me a favor real quick and like comment on and share this episode I'd really appreciate it and please most importantly set the podcast to automatically download every Tuesday morning as always I'd like to thank our amazing guests for their perspectives and expertise and I hope that you'll please join us again next week on this journey of change thank you to my partners in the ASAR group and to the Changing the Industry podcast remember what I always say in this industry you get what you pay for here's hoping everyone finds their missing 10 millimeter and we'll see you all again next time